You're listening to sermon audio from River City Church in Fargo, North Dakota. River City Church exists to make disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus through the gospel of Jesus. You can find out more about River City by visiting our website at www.rivercityfargo.org. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we make this confession that we are in great need of you, and so we ask that in your kindness and in your mercy that you'd meet us, that by your Holy Spirit we would hear and receive and be changed as your word does its work in us. Encourage us now as we open it. Let our worship just continue. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Uh, good morning. Glad that you're uh, with us this summer Sunday. Uh, for the past couple of years, we mark the transition to summer here on Sunday mornings uh, with a study in the Psalms. So the last number of summers, we've just kind of taken one psalm each week and have worked our way through it, and we're going to continue that today. Um, we'll be in Psalm 38, so go ahead and grab your Bibles to uh, turn to Psalm 38, and if you need a Bible, some folks, volunteers from our strike team are coming around with Bibles, and they can get you one you can follow along. Um, also, if you're interested, there's a, there's a handful of small notebooks at the back connection desk with a little Summer Psalms sticker on it. If you'd like something to take notes in, um, we have a handful of those. You can take one. Uh, well, until they're gone. So we have a stack of them. You're welcome to those. Uh, one of the things that I really like, I think it's special about our time in the summer and as we've been working through the Psalms the last number of years, um, is not only that we kind of get to do a little bit of a deep dive into a particular Psalm each week, but uh, you all, we all get to hear from a, from a variety of voices opening God's Word for us. You'll hear from each of our elders. You'll hear from a a small group of other faithful men who have begun studying a particular psalm and who are preparing to preach that psalm um, under the care of this cohort. And so we've done this for a number of years now, and it's been a very encouraging and fruitful thing uh, for us. Um, so you'll hear from me a few times this summer. Um, today I get the privilege of kind of kicking off in the psalms again. Uh, so let me just bring you up to speed as we get to Psalm 38, which is kind of somewhere in the middle of the psalms, kind of a little background on the Psalms and then a little bit on our Psalm today and kind of where we'll go in the coming weeks. Now, the Psalms, if you're not familiar, is a genre of literature that is poetic. It's poetry in its form. And the Psalms were compiled and used in the corporate worship of God's people. Uh, many of them were written by David, like the one we'll see today. Uh, some when he was a boy, some when he was king. There are some other authors that we'll actually get to know as well in the next couple of weeks. Um, sometimes there are titles or descriptions given in the psalm, kind of how it was used. For example, Psalm 38 says, A Psalm of David, so telling us this is David who, who penned this psalm, for the memorial offering. So this psalm was likely used as part of the corporate worship of God's people when they offered a particular offering, in this case, the memorial offering. So that's just a little bit of context as you open the Psalms and as we read through them this summer to understand what are they, 
Um, how do we read them and understand them? And part of our goal, our hope, when we're doing something like studying the Psalms is not only that you'll pull out uh, just a singular kind of devotional reading. Like Psalms are, are excellent for that. Psalms speak to the whole wide array of human emotions and life circumstances uh, and speak with hope and all of it is great. But part of our, our hope in preaching through the Psalms here in the summer is that you too would see Jesus in every Psalm. That you'd see that the hope that the psalmist is proclaiming about some future hope in God's rescue would be, you'd be able to latch onto that and say, Jesus here is being given to me as my hope and my anchor. So anyway, that's just a little bit of the, of the context and our hope. Um, let's look at Psalm 38. Psalm 38 is a, is a psalm of penance or repentance. It's a, it's a song and a, and a poem of repentance in the midst of suffering. And in fact, Psalm 34 all the way through Psalm 41 are all suffering psalms to some degree. Now, Psalms 34 through 37 are written from the perspective of the innocent sufferer, meaning that while nobody is perfectly innocent, the grief being expressed by the psalmist in Psalms 34 through 37 the, the suffering that they are experiencing is coming kind of from outside of them. Someone is doing evil to them without reason. They are suffering under some kind of affliction that they cannot control. They are the innocent sufferer. Psalms 38, that will start today through Psalm 41, which we'll finish in a couple weeks, are also psalms of suffering, except they come from the perspective of the, the guilty sufferer, not the innocent one. Now, it's not that all of their consequences are a result of their sin, all of their suffering. You'll, you'll see even in our psalm today, there's some people who just decide to do evil things to David. But we'll also see that there's an awareness in David of his own sinfulness. He's mindful of it, and we'll see that here. So if I were to sum up Psalms 34 through 41 with one quote, it would be from an author by the name of George Higgins. A character in one of his novels says this, This life's hard, but it's harder if you're stupid. John Wayne is later attributed with like, re repeating that quote. I think it's cooler if John Wayne says it. But, but nonetheless, I think it remains helpful. Psalm 34 through 37, this life is hard. Psalm 38 through 41, but it's harder if you're stupid. Now some of you are like, we don't say stupid in our house. So there's some kids in the room that are like, we don't use that word, I apologize. Pastor Jake said it, it's okay. Now, it's mostly funny, like it's a, it's a funny phrase, but I think the idea is helpful, that there's lots of things that cause suffering, and many of them are outside of us, right? Many of them are things that ha have nothing to do with something that we did. And there's some suffering that we experience that cause us some honest self-reflection that we might actually need to consider where we are and how we got there. And so Psalm 38 today, David is doing some deep soul searching. And I just wanted to give you that context of the psalm today. David is bearing grief, and the grief he is bearing is connected to his own sinfulness. And yet, even though the grief he is suffering under is kind of his own fault, this is a psalm filled with hope. 
In David's confession, I pray you and I will find hope as well. Because David's hope is in God and that God would be merciful. And that's where I want to go today. The question for us is, in our grief, even the grief that we experience due to our own sin, where is our hope? And I believe Psalm 38 helps us move forward by faith. Our hope, just like David's, our hope is in a God who is merciful. So let's read our text. It's only uh, 22 verses. Uh, Let's read our text, and then we'll kind of work our way through Psalm 38 this morning. Hear the word of the Lord. A psalm of David for the memorial offering. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head. Like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate. All the day I go about mourning. For my sides are filled with burning, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. O Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs, my strength fails me, and the light of my eyes, it, is also, it also has gone from me. My friends and companions stand aloof from my plague, and my nearest kin stand far off. Those who seek my life lay their snares. Those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate treachery all day long. But I am like a deaf man, I do not hear Like a mute man who does not open his mouth, I have become like a man who does not hear and in whose mouth are no rebukes. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord my God, who will answer. For I said, only let them not rejoice over me who boast against me when my foot slips. For I am ready to fall and my pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. But my foes are vigorous, they are mighty, and many are those who hate me wrongfully. Those who render me evil for good accuse me because I follow after good. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Now, my approach today with this sermon is a little bit different. Often I, I try to kind of codify it into like a big idea and then some points that kind of reinforce that big idea. We're not going to do that today. In part because it just, it's, there's not a really nice clean way to pull out three points that alliterate. So what we're going to do instead is we're going to work our way through the psalm from beginning to end and, and here's why. There's a reason for it. In this psalm, David clearly in pain, clearly suffering, he does two things. He appeals to God and he acknowledges his sin and his suffering, his sadness, those seeking to do him harm. He's aware of all those things and mixed into this acknowledgement, this confession of all the stuff that's going on, he continues to make appeals to God. 
So there's this back and forth. David appeals to God, and then he acknowledges his awareness of his own problems. And then he appeals to God, and then he acknowledges his awareness of the source of his grief. He acknowledges his challenges and his sufferings, and then he appeals to God again. And so there's this back and forth, and that's kind of how we're going to walk through the, the psalm today. And part of the reason for doing that is, I hope, for us, this might help us because we endure suffering and hardship of all sorts, and sometimes we struggle to know, how do we, how do we pray? How do we seek God in the midst of our hardship? And I think Psalm 38 gives us a little framework for that. Some help in appealing to God while still acknowledging the realities of our brokenness. So we're just going to follow David's path through the psalm today um, from beginning to end where he makes his appeals, where he acknowledges his sin and, and, and go from there. Our, our hope, my hope, is that we would have David's hope that in the middle of his pain, he's able to find hope. So in the midst of our grief, where is our hope? And like David we too can have hope in God who is merciful. So let's jump right in. Look at verse 1. Our psalm opens right away. David opens this psalm of suffering with an appeal to God to be merciful. Right away, David opens with mercy. O Lord, he says, rebuke me not in your anger. Notice he doesn't ask for God to not rebuke him. He doesn't ask for the Lord to not discipline him. What he's asking for is that the Lord's rebuke and the Lord's discipline would not be done in anger or wrath. That even in his rebuke, in his discipline, that the Lord might be merciful. Kids do this all the time. I did it as a kid, right? You approach, you do something you know is probably not good. And you go to mom and dad and you say, now, now, don't be mad, but here's what I did, right? Don't be upset. Now, now, why do you say don't be mad to your parents? Because you know they're going to be mad, right? That's why you say it, they're, and they're probably justifiably upset. But what are you asking for when you ask that? You're asking for mercy. I know you have every right to be upset, but please don't destroy me. That's what you're asking for. Now, you put yourself on the other side of the situation as a parent, right? How do you, how do you express your disappointment or your anger in a righteous way, right? Sometimes kids need rebuke or correction. Discipline shares a root with the word disciple, so the aim is Correction, it's restorative, it's meant for growth, right? And I think that's the idea here. David opens up this psalm, this prayer to the Lord, throwing himself at the mercy of God. Rebuke me, Lord, but, but not in your anger. Discipline me, but not in your wrath. Right away, I think David is appealing to God for mercy. And then we see why. Why is he appealing to God for mercy? Look at verses 2 through 8. David is feeling the weight of God's discipline. And he references the arrows of the Lord and the hand of the Lord. Verse 2. Like you can, you can feel that a little bit, can't you? Your arrows have sunk into me. 
It's a deep pain. Your hand has come down on me. There's a heaviness. Look at verses 3 and 4. David continues, There's no soundness in my flesh. That is, my physical body is spent. Why? Well, David just tells us. Because of your indignation. Indignation is displeasure. The Lord is not pleased with David in this moment. There is no health in my bones, David continues. I am utterly exhausted. Why? Because of my sin, David says. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. The the picture here is that the weight of David's own sin has now toppled him. He's top-heavy with his sin, and it is pulling him over. It's too heavy for him. Now, you probably don't remember, but last August, we looked at Psalm 37. It was the last psalm at the end of last year. Psalm 37 obviously comes right before Psalm 38. So I want to encourage you, even this week, as you go to read, to go read Psalm 37 and 38 in tandem. Because in Psalm 37, David is suffering. But in Psalm 37, the the primary reason for his suffering or his response to it is like, hey, I'm innocent here. I'm I'm not guilty of the things that they're accusing me of. There's all kinds of false charges being leveled against him. So he suffers, but he's suffering as an innocent man. In Psalm 38, as we're reading, he also is suffering. But he's aware that in this circumstance, the source of David's difficulty is himself. The Lord is rightfully displeased. God's indignation toward David is a righteous indignation. And David is saying, my sin, my iniquities, my foolishness is crushing me. It's too heavy for me, and I am wasting away underneath them. David's not done yet. Look at verse 5. My wounds stink and fester. I don't have to describe that. It just is gross, right? Because why? Because of my own foolishness. He says, I'm bowed down, and I'm mourning, just I'm grieving all day. My sides are filled with burning. This is extreme physical discomfort David is feeling. He's experiencing a legitimate physical suffering in his life. We don't know exactly what it is. Is he experiencing an actual sickness? We don't know exactly what's going on, but we can tell by his description, it is real and it is painful. I am feeble and crushed, David says, and I groan because of the tumult of my heart. My heart, David said, is full of unrest. I am overwhelmed. Why? Because of my own foolishness. Because of my own sin. The Lord is right to be displeased with me, David is saying. Now, I want to be really clear. Not all suffering comes as a consequence of our sin. In fact, in John chapter 9, Jesus and his disciples come upon a blind man. And the disciples ask him, they say, Teacher, why was this man born blind? Is he blind because of his sin or his parents' sin? The prevailing thinking was, if you suffered, that must mean that God's dealing with you according to your sin. All suffering was connected to sin. And Jesus' response is just fantastic. He goes, actually, uh, neither. 
This man is not blind because of his sin, and he's not blind because of his parents' sin. This man is blind so that the power of God might be revealed in his life. And then Jesus heals him, right? So I just want to be clear that, that sometimes we experience suffering in this life, and it is not because you sinned greatly and so God is disciplining you. I just want to be very clear on that. But I also want to be clear that sometimes God, in His mercy, because He loves you, will lay His hand heavy on you. And sometimes our suffering does come as a result of our sin. I don't want to miss either one of those realities. We can't under or overemphasize either of them. In this case, in Psalm 38, David is experiencing the suffering and he's willing to ask the question. He's doing some self-examination and he's going, okay, I'm going to walk the path of repentance here. As we read back in Psalm 32, David says, I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And David says this in Psalm 32, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. David is seeking the mercy of the Lord and the first step toward God in faith is his confession. He acknowledges his sin. If I'm going to pursue healing, David says, it's going to start with confession and seeking God for his mercy. And David doesn't stay there. Look at verse 9. He's, he's saying, oh, I'm just, I'm in the worst possible spot. And then he says this, verse 9, O Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. In the midst of David's confession, he makes an appeal. He's appealing to the God who sees him. Charles Spurgeon says of verse 9 that David quickly darts his eyes to heaven here in verse 9. In the midst of this confession that he's weighed down, that his wounds are festering, he turns his eyes briefly upward and says, but I know you see me. I know you hear me. I know that my longings and my groanings are not just floating around in space, but that when I express my longing to you, when I, when I tell you of my grief, when I sigh under the weight, even under the weight of my own foolishness, I know, even then, I know that you see me, God. I mean, this is a faith-filled statement, isn't it? Because when things get really hard for us, one of the hardest things for us to hold on to is the belief that God is real. Now, for most of us, we can still believe that God is there somewhere. But I think probably for many that we struggle not to believe that He's somewhere. We struggle to believe that He actually cares. Maybe you've experienced this. God, I'm, I'm really struggling here. And I even know that, that much of what I'm experiencing is my own fault. So maybe I don't even deserve to ask. But do you even care that I'm dying here? Maybe you've prayed that. David says, I, I know. I, I know. I know that my longing, my sighing is not hidden from you. I know that you see me. I know 
you hear me? So David is making an appeal to the Lord who sees him and hears him and knows him. He appeals, he acknowledges, he appeals again. And this prayerful appeal is short-lived. David drives back down to do his grief. Look at verse 10. My heart throbs, David says. My strength fails me. In the light of my eyes, it is also gone from me. David doesn't just acknowledge his sin. He's acknowledging his sadness. The light has gone from his eyes. That glimmer of hope and life and joy is dim. That's the picture here. Maybe you've experienced that yourself or you've seen it in the face of another loved one. When life just gets so hard and they're suffering under the weight, it's like that little glimmer of life in their eyes starts to fade. That's what David's talking about here. And so maybe this is just a, an aside, but it is biblical to acknowledge sadness. There's biblical warrant here to say, I'm, I'm really low here, God. David is feeling the sadness and depression that comes with this kind of extended suffering. Look at verse 11. Even my friends stay away from me. My family stands far off. Those who are supposed to be close to me are nowhere to be found. And if you've experienced suffering or hardship for an extended period of time, then you know that isolation often comes with sickness and suffering. Think about it. How many of you say, I love visiting the hospital? I mean, not when babies are born. Everyone likes to go visit when the babies are born. Right? Hospitals, nursing homes are difficult places to visit at times. When people have a a chronic health issue or a terminal diagnosis, those are the most difficult. Why? Man, it's hard to deal with. It's hard. And so that kind of suffering kind of breeds isolation for the one suffering because the people walking alongside them don't know how to deal with it either. And so David is just lamenting his loneliness. Now, now, not only do I feel isolated from those who are close to me, David says, but I have enemies, those who don't like me, even in my suffering, are trying to do, my, do me harm. They are meditating on ways to harm me. <laughs> They're figuring out new ways to destroy me. And so it leaves David in this place of silence and isolation. Verses 13 and 14, I don't hear and I don't speak. Why? Because I am all alone. I've got nothing. So here I sit in my sadness and I suffer alone. David is acknowledging his sadness. But he's not done. Look at verse 15. But. I'm convinced that but is the best word in the Bible. Verse 15. But for you, O Lord do I wait? Here's David saying, I am, I'm broken. I am crushed. My friends avoid me. My enemies seek my destruction. I am isolated and alone. But for you, O Yahweh, but I'm waiting for you. David is making a a confession of hope that God is good. 
He's making an appeal to God who is good. He's holding on to the goodness of God. God is merciful. God sees me. He hears me. And I know, I know he will answer me. David is making an appeal to a God he believes is good. Let's keep going. Verse 16. For I said, only let them not rejoice over me. David is acknowledging his accusers and the accusations that they're leveling against him. And in verses 16 through 20, here's what's beautiful. David makes no excuses. None. What does he say in verse 18? I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. His foes are are vigorous. They are mighty. They are many. They hate him wrongfully. So there are even some reasons why he's like, I don't even know why they hate me. Even when I try to do good to them, they hate me. But it's not an excuse that that he levels. He says in verse 18, I am sorry for my sin. Now, David may not have known it this way, but I think David is practicing the New Testament gospel principle of acknowledging the log in his own eye. I could point out the specks in everyone's eye who's accusing me falsely, but what I'm going to do is to say, I'm going to deal with this giant log of sin in my own eye and say, I confess my iniquity. I'm sorry for my sin. I have accusers and accusations. I've got plenty of them. And they're waiting, David says. They're waiting for me to slip up. They are ready to pounce I know this is the reality of my situation. Look at verse 17. For I am ready to fall. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Right? I am ready to fall and my pain is ever before me. David is real and honest and not given to self-defense when accusations come. He says, you're right. I have sin I need to deal with. And then he closes, verse 21. Because of my accusers, because I am ready to fall, it's like I'm standing on the edge of the cliff, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. David says this, Lord, don't forsake me. Don't be far from me. And help. (laughs) Help me. David's final appeal is to God who he believes and knows will save him. He he knows that in this instance, his sin has caused him all sorts of pain. And he's pleading with God for mercy. Don't for one moment think that mercy is only, hey, I didn't do anything. Because David doesn't deserve mercy. When he's innocent, he pleads with God in Psalm 37 for God's mercy, and he pleads with God for his mercy in Psalm 38. And he's saying, Lord, don't abandon me. Don't leave me here to suffer alone under the weight of my own sin. Please don't forsake me. Don't be far away. Don't hide your face. Which is interesting for the guilty, isn't it? For the guilty one to say, I know this might hurt a little, Lord, but I need to be in your presence. I need the purifying power of your face, God, even if it stings a little bit. Please don't be far. And don't delay. 
I trust you, but please do not delay in rescuing my sorry soul. I need help. That's David's prayer. O Lord, my salvation, my help, my deliverance, my victory. And so David closes his prayer, his psalm, the way he started it, appealing to God for mercy and for rescue. Save me, he says. Now, the question with a psalm like this is, okay, now what do we do with this? How do we take Psalm 38, bring it home with us, and, and let it do its work by the Spirit in us? Here's a couple things. I think David's awareness of his problems and his appealing to God in prayer over and over again is giving us a picture of what it means to hope in God who is merciful. David may not, might not know his name, but David is pointing to, more specifically, David is pointing to not something but someone to show him mercy. That in Christ Jesus, you and I actually have hope that in the midst of sadness and suffering, even the suffering that we bring upon ourselves because of our own sin, we too can have hope in a merciful and a gracious Savior. David's hope in the midst of grief was the mercy of God. His only hope was not in the change of circumstance, was not in the, the, the destruction of his enemies, although he prayed for those things. His hope was that God would be merciful. And our hope in the midst of our grief and suffering, whether it's from outside of us or we bring it on ourselves, our only hope is in the mercy of God. That's it. And our hope, mercy, has a name. In fact, it was upon Jesus that the heavy hand of the wrath of God rested. So much so that when Jesus is praying in the night before his crucifixion, the hand of God in his wrath was so heavy upon Jesus Christ, the Son, the stress so great that capillaries burst and he was sweating blood in his prayers. That it was Jesus who carried the burden, not the burden of his sin because he was sinless, but our sin, he carried that burden on his body as he was hung on a cross. He bore the wounds, the festering wounds that came from the lashing and the crown of thorns that was beaten into his scalp. He was not bleeding for his foolishness, but for your foolishness and mine. He groaned, Jesus did. His body was crushed. His side was pierced. He endured scorn and shame and accusation that he did not deserve. His friends denied him and deserted him. He was alone and mocked and slandered. And like a lamb to the slaughter, he opened not his mouth. He had no words until he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Christ was forsaken so that we would not be forsaken. See, David was looking forward to a, a future hope, trusting 
that God would hear his appeals and would answer his prayers for mercy, would meet him with mercy. You and I read what David has written here in Psalm 38, and for us, it becomes fuel for our prayers because we look to Jesus, who is the answer to the prayer for mercy, to not forsake us, because he said, I will not forsake you. To be near to us, he said, I'll never leave you. To be our salvation and our victory. I know it sounds like a Sunday school answer, but Jesus is the answer to our appeals for mercy. And so for you and for me, we can have this sure hope. It doesn't gloss over our hardships, but it anchors us. We can have this sure hope in the midst of our suffering. And not only when we are innocent sufferers like Psalm 37, but when we are the guilty ones, when we can say, ah, that's on me. That's my sin, like David is saying here in Psalm 38. That's the beauty of the gospel. It's not that we're neutral or so-so. The beauty of the gospel in Psalm 38 reminds us that even when it is our sin that is the cause of our hardship, even when the consequences that we bear are because of our own foolishness, the way forward is holy and completely dependent on the mercy of God. That's it. Are there consequences that you and I might have to bear because of our sin? Yeah, there absolutely are. When trust is broken and relationships are broken, restitution has to be made in order to rebuild trust and relationships. Will that have to happen? Yes, absolutely. But the beauty of the gospel is that our only hope forward rests solely on the mercy of God. That's it. Paul writes to a young Titus. Titus chapter 3, Paul says this. Listen to these words. He says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Sinners, Paul says. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. This is our hope, that God extends to you and to me mercy in Jesus. And because the mercy of Jesus is here in front of us, we can follow the example David gives us. Because mercy is available to us, we can say, I'm a sinner. And we can walk in repentance and faith and pray in repentance and faith. And for me, and this is where we close, I promise, I think that this psalm and this sequence of psalms over the next number of weeks have the potential for us to renew our ability to pray. The difficulties, the sufferings in life that we experience, whether they're external or we bring them on ourselves, they should drive us to the mercy of God. If they drive us anywhere else, we will die. 
If it drives us to trying harder or to self-sufficiency or to self-justification, we lose. But if it drives us to plead with God for mercy, then we will find refuge there. At any time, in any circumstance, and we can know that He hears us, that He sees us, and that He's merciful. So when we're by ourselves this week, or we're sitting with a friend, or praying at bedtime with our spouse or our kids, or we're gathering in community groups or over a cup of coffee, or just here in a moment, when we, when we come to the table in communion, let's together cry out to God because our hope is in Him, the one who is merciful. Would you pray with me? Father, would you help us, like Psalm 32, to not try to cover and hide and tuck away and justify, but because you are merciful, we can stand open, acknowledge not just our sin, although we we can and we do, But you're big enough. You can handle. We can acknowledge our our sadness. We can tell you that the glimmer of light has gone out or has gone dim. We can acknowledge our loneliness and our isolation. We can acknowledge the accusations and the trouble that's all around us. We can appeal to you for mercy. So that's what we are doing. Even as we come to the table, we're appealing to you on behalf of Jesus who suffered and died for us. Would you extend that mercy afresh to us? That your people might be renewed, that you would show us that you have come to rescue. You do not delay. But for you, O Lord, do we wait. It's you, O Lord, our God, who will answer and who has answered. Help us to walk in confession and worship, please, for your glory and for our freedom. In Jesus' name, amen.